Before the homily, does anyone notice anything new or new old in our sanctuary? <laughs> yeah, our tabernacle is back. Uh, we had to send it away because the mechanics inside over the years had worn out, and so there's a specialty company on the East Coast, and they took it apart and, and, and fixed it, and then also gave it a nice um, shine and refurbish. So it's back, and it's back in our sanctuary. So we're so happy about that. Yeah. Um, and there's more to come. So uh, I've been working with the parish council, liturgy committee, our leadership team, our staff. And one of the things as part of our items that were a part of our capital campaign is to replace the rest of the carpeting in the church. So uh, we'll pull this up sometime this fall. We're, got three bids right now, and, um, and we'll uh, put down hard floor. We don't know what variety right now, but um, we're looking into all that. And so um, that'll be the last of the carpet that'll be in the parish. And um, there's other things that we're working on too, so stay tuned. In our second reading from Romans 12, St. Paul offers us these eternal words. Do not conform yourself to this age, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and pleasing and perfect. How? How do we avoid conforming ourselves to this age and allow the Lord to renew our minds so that we can discern God's will, so we can discern what he sees as good and pleasing and perfect for us as human beings? Is it possible? Well, it wouldn't be possible if Paul was saying this. And he is saying it, so it is possible. There are two exercises that are absolutely essential to realize this in our lives as individuals, as a family, as a nation. The first is this. Allowing the truth from God to actually inform our minds our choices, and our actions. And this informing must be founded on truth, on God's word from sacred scripture, and then transmitted across the generations through his church under the guidance of the Holy Spirit and the successors of St. Peter, the popes. That's the first part. The second part is equally important. It's prayer. Praying to God persistently up and down our lives so we have the openness to be able not just to hear the word of God, but to want to go and get it and learn it. And we have the openness, too, to want to acclimate it to our lives. So it's not then just a head thing, but it's also a heart thing, an integrated approach. So let's tackle both in this homily, in short form. The first, informing ourselves with God's truths. I think there's a way to do this, and we can, we can do this looking at our upcoming elections. It can reveal how we can allow God to guide our minds, choices, and actions, not only regarding the elections, but in just about every other facet of our lives. But let's use this as an example. As we move toward our nation's elections, national, state, local, 
Many of us Catholic Christians around this time regularly ask this question. I know they ask it of me as their pastor. Does God and the church offer any guidance based upon our faith that can help me vote according to my beliefs in Jesus Christ as I head to the ballot box? And the answer is a resounding yes. Yes. And this guidance is not based upon partisan politics and candidates, thanks be to God, but principles. Principles founded upon the Word of God and the church that Jesus Christ established to lead us in this life and into the life of heaven. These principles transcend any political party here in the United States and in any other nation of the world. Because remember, we are a universal church. And there's elections going on in every nation, or the ones that allow it, at different times throughout the year. And so this is important because these principles are universal, rooted in universal truths, established in both divine law and able to be discerned and applied in natural law. Teaching from universal principles helps the church avoid aligning itself or even giving the appearance of aligning itself with any one political platform. And not just in our nation, but in any political party in any nation. I don't know about you, but I find this very reassuring and comforting as I try to look for something objective and grounded in truth by which I can discern God's will in this world. Here's a summary, then, of these principles. Given in hierarchical order and seen very clearly in the writings of our last several popes and the National Conference of U.S. Bishops for our nation. Here it is, the first one, the highest principle, the preeminent requirement to protect human life. Restrict and end abortion of unborn babies, euthanasia as a means to deal with illness and disabilities, the destruction of human embryos in the name of research, the use of the death penalty to combat crime, and the imprudent, the imprudent use of war to address international disputes. Number two, protect the fundamental understanding of marriage as a lifelong and faithful union of one man and one woman as the central institution of human society. Number three, religious freedom protections for every human society. Number four, immigration. Protect the movement of individuals and families across national boundaries. Provide a pathway to citizenship. Respect rule of law, the national sovereignty the right to maintain borders, living wages. And by the way, I'm just giving you a few of the issues under each one of these principles, and I'm going to give you um, the fuller view of that in a moment um, by making a recommendation. Number five, education and formation of children in every human society. Number six, provide health care while respecting human dignity human life, and religious freedom. Number seven, oppose racism, 
religious bigotry, and other forms of unjust discrimination. And number eight, economic justice and care for creation. Now, here's a caution. And the caution is repeated over and over again with our popes and through the National Conference of Bishops and our U.S. Conference of Bishops. As you ponder these eight principles, remember not to fall into the temptation of moral equivalence. What is that? Making no ethical distinctions between different kinds of issues involving human life and dignity. For instance, the direct and intentional destruction of human life from the moment of conception until natural death is always wrong. And it is not just one issue among many. It must always be opposed because it is intrinsically evil. There are other serious moral issues that challenge our consciences and require us to act but they come to us in a hierarchy of value as they relate relate to the human life and dignity. Okay. What I've just outlined for you in very, very, very brief summary of Catholic social teachings regarding the principles that should inform our consciences and guide our choices as we evaluate candidates for public office. For a more detailed consideration, I urge this for you, for a more detailed consideration of these principles and the foundations of faith and reason that underpin them, you should go to the full document of the U.S. bishops from which this outline comes, called Forming Consciences and for Faithful Citizenship. Forming Consciences for Faithful Citizenship. It doesn't take long to read, maybe just a couple hours, and it can go a long way in providing solid guidance on voting according to our Christian values rather than partisan politics or because um, we vote up and down a ticket or because my parents were of a political party, that's the way I grew up and that's the way I vote. There's a shorter version of this document. Additionally, a few years ago, Catholic Answers created a brief document called A Voter's Guide for Serious Catholics. It addresses questions like, what are the non-negotiables? Or, what are the not the non-negotiables? And, what happens when there's no acceptable candidate? Catholic Answers, if you don't know, they are a Catholic apostolate well known over the last couple decades for their mission of teaching and clarifying the truths that come to us through the scriptures and the Catholic Church. So we can discern God's will in our choices, actions, and ways of living. And it's not just for election issues, it's pretty much every facet of human life. They have a wealth of information from their website, both in print that you can pull down like PDFs and tracks and also a ton of podcasts. So we will send the links to all three of these guides I just mentioned to you this Sunday evening tonight at 7 p.m. via our flock notes. And then we'll post them on the parish website. We will also insert the summary from the U.S. bishops in next weekend's bulletin for our parishioners who don't use the internet. I pray you find these these resources useful 
and helpful as you approach the elections as faithful Catholic Christians and as citizens of our United States of America. What a privilege it is to live in a country where we have the freedom to vote. Not all of our brothers and sisters on this planet and other nations have the right to vote. We do. And, and what a blessing it is to be a member of the church that Jesus Christ founded as it guides our consciences, choices, and actions as human persons living together in this world while we journey through this world to our true home, our heavenly homeland. In the second reading for today, St. Paul tells us, do not conform yourself to this age, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and pleasing and perfect. The way this happens is one part head, which I just described, and the other part heart. One part head. It's the informing ourselves about the truths of Jesus Christ and his teachings about his identity and mission and about our human dignity and purpose in this life. Then making our choices, taking actions, and living according to these deep truths rather than our own opinions, our own preferences, what we pick up in the network news, what we pick up from our schools, or, and on and on. That's conforming ourselves to this age. The other part is equally important. In short, it is the heart part, or the way of prayer. It's one thing to know the truth. It's another thing to do something with it. It's one thing to know the truth. It is another thing to cry out to the one who is the way, the truth, and the life. For this heart part, I want to make a simple but powerfully impactful proposal. I want to propose we pray. We all pray. Specifically, I want us to pray for the next 40 days for our nation. As we know, 40 days, 40 years, the 40 is significant to us as a biblical people, as Judeo-Christians. God used it all the time. Let's use it. This Sunday evening, in the parish flock note that I mentioned, that we'll be sending to you this evening, will be another link entitled 40 Days of Prayers for Our Nation. Each day's prayer is a short scripture passage and a short prayer. Each prayer will take less than one minute. But each prayer, each day, will be an ongoing perpetual prayer to our Heavenly Father for our nation. And prayer counts. Prayer matters. Prayer makes a difference. If you don't think prayer makes a difference, how is it that we are Christian? These prayers are in no way, shape, or form political in nature or, or in motivation. They're simply prayers. And I think we all can agree that our nation needs our prayers as Christians. So let's pray for our nation. We have so many things happening all at once in our nation, and it has all of us concerned. 
the divisiveness surrounding politics and the elections, which happens every four years, but thank God we have elections. The coronavirus, violence in our cities and streets, racism, the education and formation of our children, the state of our law and order, the hurricane and its victims um, in the Gulf Coast region, the economy and a host of other serious issues fueling a lot of fear and anxiety and division in our land. So let's pray. Let's stop complaining, stop worrying, and stop doing a whole lot of nothing other than causing division. Let's lift up our voices and hearts and prayers to our Heavenly Father. Forty days of prayer for our nation. Let's start praying on Monday. You'll receive the link this evening. Start praying tomorrow as a community of faith, together for our nation, for ourselves, so that no matter what comes and what goes in our country, we might, through it all, draw nearer to our Savior and lift up our beloved land and its people to our Lord. The power prayer. It not only has the power to change a nation, it can also change the person who is praying. St. Paul's words are as true today as they were in his day. Do not conform yourself to this age, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and pleasing and perfect. Why in the world would St. Paul tell us to do this if this were not possible?